0: If you use one of those third parties to process your applications, you still need to make sure that you are following their terms of use. One of the violations I see quite frequently is with Square. Everybody says, oh, I'm, I'm covered as far as cybersecurity because I use Square and they take care of everything, which is sort of true, except Square's terms of use is card not present. That means you can't touch the card yourself. So if you are a retailer and you take the card away from the customer and scan it yourself and hand it back to them, you just violated the terms of use. And if there is a data breach, they can basically say they're not liable and put it all back on you.
1: We became entrepreneurs because more than anything, we want freedom. Hey there, everyone, and welcome back to the show. Today, we are talking about cybersecurity. Now, full disclosure, this is something I know very little about, which is why I've brought on an expert as a guest today. His name is Todd Mitchell. He has over 30 years working for the government in both the Navy and the Marines, and he has several relevant degrees as well, Master of Science in Cybersecurity Policy, as well as a Master of Business Administration, and a Bachelor of Science in Information Technology. So he has studied these topics extensively and really put them to the test in a practical sense as well. So today I am going to bring Todd Mitchell on the show and pick his brain all about how we can better protect our businesses online and how we can ensure that we are also protecting our customers' data and that we are safe from a legal standpoint as well. So with that being said, allow me to introduce to you Todd Mitchell. Hey there, Todd. Welcome to the show.
0: Hi, Gillian. Thanks for having me on.
1: Absolutely. So to start out, my first question for you is we're just going to jump straight into the questions today is all about payments. Okay, so most people who are running a business, they are processing payments for their customers. That's normally how businesses work. So I'm curious, how can we make sure that the payments we're processing are secure? Are there regulations that we need to make sure we are complying with? And how can we make sure that we are processing those payments securely?
0: First of all, there are regulations. There's an entity called the payment card industry, which is basically Representatives from Visa, MasterCard, Discovery, uh, a few of the other big credit card companies have gotten together and agreed to a set of standards amongst themselves that has pretty much driven the industry. Some of the new uh, players coming in, you know, people have Square and QuickBooks and other PayPal, other online ones, and they all have agreed to comply with the payment card industry's standards. So there are regulations you have to make sure you are complying with how to make sure you're processing payments securely. If you use one of those third parties to process your applications, you still need to make sure that you are following their terms of use. One of the violations I see quite frequently is with Square. Everybody says, oh, I'm I'm covered as far as cybersecurity because I use Square and they take care of everything, which is sort of true, except Square's terms of use is card not present. That means You can't touch the card yourself. So if you are a retailer and you take the card away from the customer and scan it yourself and hand it back to them, you just violated the terms of use. And if there is a data breach, they can basically say they're not liable and put it all back on you.
1: Oh, interesting. Yeah, I've definitely noticed that difference with some businesses where sometimes they have me swipe my own card and other times they take it and swipe it for me. So that's definitely a good thing to be aware of that it matters which way you do it. Are there any other really common violations that you see businesses making, especially, you know, most of us use some sort of third-party payment processor. So for using something like PayPal or Stripe or something like that, is there anything that people often make mistakes about?
0: Oh, there are because... The other big violation is writing card numbers down. If you use, say, PayPal and somebody's having trouble accessing it, so they just call you up and say, hey, let me just give you my card number and you punch it in on your end. That's also a violation because those companies can't guarantee that that card information is secure Mm -hmm. if you have it written down on a sticky note somewhere in your office. So the way to do it securely is to make sure that you are not handling that credit card number or the uh, three-digit code on the back or the expiration date, those three key pieces of information, you are not allowed to to touch those. And you'll notice like all the major retailers, they do this as well. You've never seen a cashier at Walmart take a card from you and scan it through the register. They just point to the the counter and have you do it yourself. And that's the safest way because that, that means that, It's a secured, encrypted transaction that never left, went from your hands straight to the visa without any people in the middle touching the information.
1: So, does that mean that it's never okay to take a payment over the phone? Because I think we've all been in the place where a business did take a payment from us over the phone. And, you know, if it was a company we trust, most of us would be okay with that. Is there a way to do that safely? Uh, And what are the possible risks or? Yeah. What are the risks that we're facing if we do take a payment over the phone?
0: So, yes, you can take a payment over the phone. However, when you do that, you just have to realize that you are now liable for that meeting the payment card industry standards yourself. You can't just pawn it all off to uh, your bank uh, app or you know PayPal or Square. So what that means is you have to comply with the PCI standards, which basically... Uh, There's a big long laundry list, but just to give you a general overview, you have to have a secure encrypted network. You have to have auditing, penetration testing done to verify that it's a secure network. You have to have an encrypted database to keep those card numbers in. If they're being written down, you have to have a cross-cut shredder to shred them immediately after they're no longer being used, which means as soon as you punch it into the computer. And if you're over the phone, the phone line needs to have a certain level of encryption as well. So there, there are ways that you can do this. And I know that sounds kind of scary, mm-hmm. but if you set it up securely that way, knowing that you're going to be doing that, there are uh, companies that can help you meet all those standards.
1: Well, good to know, right? It's better to be aware than to be unknowingly violating these regulations.
0: Yeah, exactly. And that's that's the biggest the biggest violations is most companies automatically assume that they are doing what they're supposed to be doing and think that they're covered. And in reality, they're not because they're they're doing just one little thing off. I'm, I deal mostly with micro businesses and entrepreneurs, and I've seen a lot of them that go out and do craft fairs and, you know, the farmers markets and things like that, where they take the card and scan it on a, a little dongle sticking out of the side of their cell phone and they're violating the terms of use they don't even know it
1: so could you kind of explain what are the potential risks let's say i took someone's card and i scanned it through one of those square scanners myself and then i'm guessing that if nothing bad happens then it's like it's kind of no harm no foul but i'm guessing that then if they had some sort of credit fraud then i could be liable is that is that what's going on
0: Yes, that's that's exactly right. There is no PCI compliance police that are going to come arrest you. Uh, however, if you don't do, you know, in a situation like you just said, um, you could be held liable for those damages, which means if myself as a consumer get notified by Visa that, you know, I somebody just bought $5,000 worth of uh, stereo equipment on the other side of the country from me and... I know that the only person I've given my card to in the last month was you at your business, then it comes back to you. And then they say, oh, well, you didn't, you know, you were violating the terms of use, so we don't have to cover it. So now the liability is all on your business. And then what happens is the liability for damages in court goes awful. Did you do what another business would reasonably have done? Mm-hmm. And what that means is you're going to have to pay for identity theft insurance, credit, credit monitoring services or something for me to make sure that my identity is not stolen or being abused. And that's around $200 a year. And you have to do this for like five years or so. So, you know, there's, there's $1,000 right there. Plus that $5,000 shopping spree that somebody did, you're liable for that as well. And, you know, one credit card transaction, just not that big of a deal. If you have a storage on your computer that's holding, you know, a thousand different clients' credit card numbers, you just jump that up into the hundreds of thousands to millions of dollars worth of damages.
1: So is it accurate to say that the liability that you're facing if you don't correctly handle your customer's payment information is not so much facing like fines or fees, but rather opening yourself up to potential lawsuits?
0: Yes. Mostly it's going to be lawsuits and damages and having to pay for... Um, identity theft protection for all the people that had their information compromised.
1: So when it comes to protecting our customers' privacy and secure information, does it stop with secure payments or are there other measures we need to take to make sure that our customers' information is secure?
0: Well, that's sort of a trick question because it depends on the type of information you're talking about. But in general, yes, there are a lot of other things that you need to do to protect your customers' information and keep their identity private. Uh, There's an inherent kind of unspoken trust to a business when when a customer goes in and, you know, fills out certain information, gives you address, or you want to be nice and send all your customers birthday cards. So you ask them what their birth date is. Uh, But this information in the wrong hands could result in identity theft. Mm -hmm. So I always say it's best to take a look at exactly what information it is. And there's three kind of key things you want to look at. One is, The need to know, you know, do you really need that information? And then inside your business, does everybody need it? You know, take a look at a dentist office for an example. Does the dentist need my credit card number? No, the receptionist does because she's the one that does the billing. Does the receptionist need to know how many root canals I've had? No, the dentist does. So even though it's inside that business, there's a separation there of who actually needs what kind of data. And the more you can separate access so that only the people who actually need it get access to that information, the better off you are because then you don't have to worry about spillage and information being compromised. The, the second thing is sharing accounts, which kind of plays into that. If that dentist office has all their information in one spot and everybody uses the same username and password to get in, then they all have access to it. So you need everybody to have their own account with their own username and password so you can control what they see when they're logged in. And the third thing to that is to back that up with the passwords have to be strong because if they don't have strong passwords, then all those separate accounts don't really do any good because somebody can just hack into them easily.
1: So give me an example. Let's say that there was a business that just had kind of that basic information about their customers, like their address and maybe their birthday, that sort of thing. What would be a good way for them to securely protect that information and perhaps especially keep it so that only the right people have access to that information?
0: Well, it depends on exactly how you're storing it, but if you're putting together a database, even as a simple homemade one with Excel, but nowadays everything is driven most popular i see is like onlines with crms Mm -hmm. uh zoho and and uh asana and you know several other ones that everybody likes to use if you have let's say an account and you have the basic account and you're only allowed to have you know two or three users but you actually have six people you want in so you're sharing passwords so you have other employees that are logging in with your username and password so that they have account access and they're able to do things and see things that they shouldn't because they're using your login information. So you're much safer to jump yourself up to the next level of service from, you know, Asana, let's say, and get the one that lets 10 or 15 users so that each of them can have their own, their own logins. Because what happens is if, and it might not even be evil, you know, everybody thinks being hacked is evil. It, it doesn't necessarily have to be some some evil guy, you know, uh, that's out for bad intentions. It could just be, you know, you have your, your employee, and they could be perfectly good intentions, but they're logged into their computer using your name and your username and password into your account, and they don't realize what they're doing, and they're poking around, and they accidentally hit delete, and, you know, they're in there creating, let's say, a, a task list for, you know, launching your next video, and all of a sudden, they delete your client list of all, your, all the people that owe you uh, subscription payments next month. Or, you know, or all the people who've already paid and you didn't send them anything yet, so now you owe them, and all that information just disappears, you know, accidentally. Or if they download a virus on their computer and don't realize it, and they're logging in as you, now it's gonna infect the system and come back into your computer and your database.
1: When you're first starting out, it seems like things like setting up your website, registering your business name, designing branding, and setting up your business social media accounts are the things that you need to do to grow your business. But the truth is that these tasks don't grow anything. They're simply the necessary setup you have to do before you could start working to grow. They're things you have to do to get started, but they're not things that make you any money. What's worse, according to a recent study we conducted, a whopping 43 percent of people still hadn't completed the setup phase even after working on it for six months. That six plus months invested into working on your business when you could have been making money but weren't. It shouldn't be that way. And it doesn't have to. The truth is that you can check all these necessary steps off your to-do list for good in just four weeks. And then you can move on to the work that actually makes you money and grows your business. I'd love to show you how to get this done and to help you do it. In just a few weeks, we're kicking off our brand new business accelerator program called Set Up Shop. It's a four week program for new business owners who are ready to quickly take care of all those steps of setting up their business, registering it to make it legal and creating a solid foundation to grow it to six figures and beyond. Pre-registration for Setup Shop is open now and we have a special early bird rate available for those who sign up early. Class starts May 1st, so check the episode description for the link to register or head to gillianperkins.com slash set up shop. So you bring up this topic of getting scammed one way or another. What are some best practices or things to watch out for to avoid getting scammed as business owners?
0: Well, one of the biggest ways that Everybody is getting hacked, so to speak, scammed currently is with phishing attempts. Years ago, everybody used to get, you know, spam emails and viruses were rampant, and a lot of the high-tech software that comes with computers, operating systems, and Norton and McAfee's, you know, antivirus and things like that. Those have all kind of mitigated a lot of that. So now the preferred method is it's actually uh, 94% of the attacks on small businesses are delivered via email. Your average business, at least the ones that I've dealt with, get 30 to 40 emails a day. And the average is there is a phishing attempt that has malware in it is one out of 300. So if you take the average of 30 to 50 emails a day, that's basically once a week you're getting a spam attack. And if you click that button, it automatically downloads something onto your computer and now you just gave somebody access to a lot of information, not just what's on your computer, but they can also be tracking keyboard movements of what you're typing in. So the next time you go shopping on Amazon, you punch in your credit card number. They know that anytime somebody punches in 16 numbers in a row, it's a credit card. So they automatically copy that and paste it and different things like that. So, the, the phishing attacks, what you want to avoid on that is basically any emails that just don't make sense. They love to trigger human emotions. So they'll send you something from the IRS that says, you know, you're going to jail tomorrow if you don't give me your credentials today so that I can fix it for you or something, or log into this, you know, your bank uh, sending you an email saying, you know, give me your account number because we've got to fix your account or we're shutting off your credit card. And people get scared and they click that button. And if you think about it, you know, most people have never been contacted by their bank to give them account numbers. Your bank knows your account number. You don't have to give that to them. So when you see these emails, you just have to apply a little common sense and say, hey, wait a minute. You know, you, you don't even want to open them let alone click on a button inside it. Just mark it as spam and let it ride its course.
1: Something else that I've seen that seems to be becoming more and more common is people's Facebook accounts getting hacked or other social media accounts getting hacked. And then uh, the hacker will send out a direct message to all of the hacky's contacts with a link to supposedly a video normally, but it's actually a phishing attempt. Have you seen that a lot?
0: Yes, and that's another one that plays on the emotions. And Facebook... Hopefully we'll be better in the future because I think they finally realized after being drugged in front of Congress a dozen times in the last couple of years, they're starting to take security really serious over there now. Uh, but for years, Facebook was easiest to, to hack. And the reason why they hacked Facebook was because most Americans are lazy and you have one password. So if they can figure out what your Facebook password is, chances are it's the same password you use in your bank account so that's why they want your facebook password not to get into your facebook account but because you probably use that for banking and for shopping and other things so the name of the game for most of these hacking and spams is it's a money-making thing emails sell on the dark web for two dollars at a time so you can go hack a small business get their facebook and accumulate a list of a thousand email addresses, and you just made two thousand dollars.
1: Well, I hope that Facebook does get better about making things more secure because I know that specific thing I was talking about with spamming their friends after hacking them. I've seen that like three times in just the last month alone. So it doesn't seem like it's gotten better yet, but I hope it does.
0: No, unfortunately, this takes time, it, and it's, it is, it's hard to change something after it's built that's part of the problem was facebook was started by a couple of college guys that wrote some code in their dorm room and it's grown to be this humongous global domination thing only it didn't have security built in from the start so all of their cybersecurity is basically band-aid patches on top of band-aids on top of more band-aids and they really need to just almost like shut the whole thing down and build a whole new one from scratch to kind of replace it but in the meantime, they're they're going to start implementing some some security measures that will help them not be quite as vulnerable.
1: So, are there any other blind sides that businesses and business owners often have when it comes to cybersecurity?
0: Yeah, um, the biggest one I think is assuming that you're safe because third party software will do it for you, and that applies like we were talking about with the, with the uh, the payment card in- industry. It also applies with you know, oh, I've got the I've got the latest um antivirus software so I'm okay or I you know in a larger business maybe you pay for network monitoring so so you're good doctor's office gets a subscription to this software that does all their billing and behind the scenes payments and schedules of uh, appointments and lets them track patient records and all that and they think they're meeting HIPAA compliance because those companies are HIPAA compliant but what they don't realize is human error accounts for The vast majority of, it's over 75% of the uh, data breaches are caused by human error. So $70,000 worth of software for HIPAA compliance at a doctor's office can be thrown completely out the window by the receptionist having the username and password written down on a sticky note stuck to the side of her monitor that actually faces the window where everybody stands there and signs a clipboard to check in. And I've actually seen that with my own eyes. I walked into a doctor's office. They were sharing a username and password. They had one account for the whole office, and they had it written down on a sticky note, taped to every single monitor in the building. And I'm just looking at them going, holy cow, you guys are like so not HIPAA compliant. But they think they are because they spent $70,000 on some fancy software from some big-name company, so they think they're covered.
1: Wow. Well, clearly we have covered a lot today, Todd. So for some people, you know, who maybe haven't done most of these things, maybe they're just getting started. This could feel a little bit overwhelming with all these different things they need to be thinking about. So what are just a few of the first steps, the most important steps, that you would recommend a small business owner take immediately to make their company more cyber secure?
0: I think the the simplest, easiest thing that anybody can do to protect their business, and this also applies for people to protect their families at home, is awareness, cybersecurity awareness. You need to be aware of what a phishing email is and how to spot one. You need to be aware that these usernames and passwords that you made up that are like really simple, you know, like fluffy number one or whatever from 20 years ago needs to be changed because computing power nowadays, you can crack that in like 30 seconds. So you need to have strong passwords and be able to spot scams And you need to know if your situation is too complicated that you need to seek professional help and have somebody like me come in and take a look at what you're doing and help you figure out how to do it safely. But the immediate thing that everybody can do right now is to make sure that their settings and their software is up to date and they have strong passwords.
1: Well, Todd, thank you so much. This has certainly been eye-opening and I'm really thankful for everything you shared because I know, like, well, just like you were just saying, you know, it starts with awareness and for so many business owners, this is just a blind blindside and they have no idea what they need to be doing for cybersecurity and to keep their customers' information secure as well. And so I think that this is a great starting place. So thank you so much for everything that you shared.
0: Thank you. I'm glad you had me on.
1: Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Work Less, Earn More. Now, here's what I want you to do next. Take a screenshot of this episode you're listening to right now and share it out on your Instagram stories. And when you do, make sure you tag me at Gillian Z Perkins so I can see you're listening. Sharing on stories is going to help more people find this podcast so they too can learn how to build their business in a way that allows them to work less and earn more.